I said, you think these two mutts are going to protect you? I said, when this game's over, I'm going up to Linfield and burn your house down and shoot your horses. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Punch Drunk Podcast. I'm Paul Brooks, joined always by Michael. Hey, Dan. Joey. What's up? And Mike Lane. Howdy. And joining us on the couch in studio is someone who has quite a successful professional hockey resume. Please welcome former NHL player, well-respected referee, and also a member of the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, Mr. Paul Stewart. Stu, welcome. It's great to be here at Brookside. Great to have you. Um, <clears throat> Stu, a tough kid out of Dorchester. Ivy League educated, University of Pennsylvania. Come out of Penn, you go to the Broom Dusters. And the one, I, I like to get into statistics. And one of the stats is they see 47 games played, but an ungodly 273 penalty minutes. <laughs> yeah. well, you take that average, that is six penalty minutes a game, which means you fought in every game. Just about. I, I think in... Uh, <laughs> I thought I had 46 games, and but I had 44 majors that year. And I was told about the first week after I had arrived from Penn on the bus. I bought my own bus ticket, 14 bucks, uh, by Bob Kelly, the Flyers number nine. He said, pick the worst team in the worst league and ask them for a tryout. Because I wasn't playing much in college, and the university shut down due to the oil embargo in 75. And I knew that I would be... Uh, free from December until April. And I contacted the Broom Dusters through two friends of mine, Steve Sterling, who played at BU, and another fellow, uh, Richie Hart, who played for my dad in English High, played at Boston College, had played a little bit for the Bruins. And they, they attested to my ability to uh, defend and, and protect. And I got off the bus... And uh, I, I was introduced to the, the level of hockey that we've seen in Slapshot. So weren't they weren't they part of like or or a uh, uh, not part of Slapshot, but they were like uh, yes featured featured and the, the yeah. fellow who did the skating for Paul Newman. Um, was our captain, Roddy Bloomfield. He was the leading scorer in the league. And then four or five of us as well. And Goldie Goldthorpe, the guy that they Ogie Oglethorpe, yeah. uh, he was on our team, and that's a story unto itself. My first week there, I was sitting on a stool at, at a place called Funzies. The guys were shooting pool. It was a Christmas party. And he walked up and sucker punched me. You know, let me know who's the <laughs> toughest guy, <laughs> toughest guy on the team. And he had just arrived, and uh, the captain Roddy Bloomfield said to me, I, "I, I, I was like, who the hell is this guy?" And you know, he knocked me right off the bar stool. I wasn't expected to get slugged, but um, I, I gathered my thoughts, and he said to me. Uh, you know, if you can't beat him, don't go outside. And I handed him my watch. I said, I'll be right back. And uh, he went out and he started some uh, martial arts moves. And I had taken uh, two, three years of it with a fellow by the name of Matson, Matson's Academy of Karate in town. And I knew a few things myself. Plus, I grew up in a pretty tough neighborhood and wasn't shy. So I had that guy up over my head, and everybody was yelling for me to throw him out in traffic. That's hilarious. 
<laughs> that's pro hockey. And then I, I, going from the University of Pennsylvania, not playing to Binghamton, and then the Rangers signed me at the end of that year uh, due to uh, Kurt Bennett hitting Dave Maloney with a one punch in Madison Square Garden, and John Ferguson, the GM, number twenty-two, Montreal Canadiens. I said after the game, I'm going to find myself some tough guys. And the first call he got the next day was me. So you played also with, a lot of people don't realize this about the WH, the World Hockey, and then the NHL. And then there was eventually a merge at that point. But you played with the teams. You played with three out of the six? Yes. I I, <clears throat> I went from Rangers. Uh, they weren't going to give me a shot at the National League. They had plans for me to go to New Haven or to uh, uh, Toledo. And they had farm teams, and they were going to ship me around. And I wasn't, I mean, if I was going to wade through another league, I would, I'd just go back to Binghamton. Right. And I went back to Binghamton, and Edmonton Oilers had a call out to find some tough guys. Bep Gwynlin, who had been a Bruin, youngest player ever played in the National Hockey League. Uh, I went there. Glenn Sather was on the team. Norm Ullman. I arrived with Teddy Scarf and Frank Beaton, and it was like a cattle call. Who are the, who's the toughest guy? And at that time, and a lot of people don't realize this, in 1975, 6, <clears> and <throat> 7, there were only 11 Americans playing in the National Hockey League. Right. And there weren't that many as well playing in the WHA. Minnesota Fighting Saints had a few, and uh, Jack Carlson was one. And I knew that I was a minority guy. And it's funny to say that because I'm a white guy from Dorchester, and I grew up you know, knowing who my father and mother were, and I had a you know a pretty uh, solid background. My dad was a, a high school teacher and coach, and my grandfather was a professional athlete, and you know we had a good upbringing. But I knew, and I was told actually my first week in Binghamton, if I was going to make it in pro hockey, I had to do it with my hands. Yeah. And that hockey at that time, with the Flyers winning Stanley Cups '74 and '75, with being the Broad Street Bullies. It seemed logical for me, and I, at the University of Pennsylvania, actually practiced with the Flyers because they practiced at our rink. And that was the style. And that I mean, was, it was really rough. Like, and I, I, I picked up a lot of stuff yeah. from Freddie Shiro and Mike Nicolak and Barry Ashby and, and, and the guys on the team. Uh, Rick McLeish and I became very good friends. Sad to say, you know, and a number of those fellows have passed away now. But, you know, Joe Watson and Jimmy Watson... Barry Ashby specifically took me out on the ice and showed me how to play defense. And I learned, even though I wasn't playing for the university, I skated every day. I drove the Zamboni and sharpened the skates mm. at the rink. That was my work-study job because I didn't come from a big family with a lot of dough. So, you know, I wasn't going to give up on my dream, which was to play in the National Hockey League. No matter who got in my way, I was going to wade through them. And how many kids out of Dorchester would ever figure on, at that time, making the National Hockey League? In 1959, <clears throat> I was six years old. Yeah. And I'm telling everybody I'm going to play in the National Hockey League. And to even be as far-fetched to say I'm going to play for the Red Sox, and there was no Patriot team. Yeah. So I, 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 of all the sports that I played, football, hockey, and baseball, hockey was the one that I had the least success but it was the one that I had the most determination to achieve. So you did you also play with Mark Messier? It's interesting. Um, that year in 78-79, which was the year before the expansion of the WHA teams, the Birmingham Bulls signed six underage players. Up till then, 
the NHL had a draft, but they didn't play, let players play if they weren't 18. And Birmingham signed uh, Ramage and Five and a, and a bunch of other fellows. Uh, Langway was a guy that came mm -hmm. out of UNH. And uh, Mark Messier uh, from, in, from Edmonton, uh, he showed up with Gretzky at Indianapolis. That team folded, and we signed Messier. I actually roomed with him. Wow. And he and I became very good friends, and over the course of time, and I played against Gretzky, and when I got inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame, I got two phone calls, and Gretzky was one of them to congratulate me. And I always think, and I'm proud of this, that I earned what I set out for when I got on that bus to go to Binghamton. I, I achieved my goal, and I got the respect. Yeah. Now, you are... I believe still the only American-born person to have ever uh, made the NHL, played in the NHL, and refereed in the NHL. That's right. Over a thousand games refed in the NHL. Thousand and ten. Forty-nine <laughs> Stanley Cup games. Uh, I would have had more. The boss who took over after John McCauley died, Wes McCauley's dad, who 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 liked me and had and had hired me, he and Scotty Morrison. Um, the next guy in, um, he was a poster child for a true Canadian. And uh, he wasn't what I would say was uh, user-friendly toward me. Your son is named after him, right? Macaulay John Stewart. And I tell you why. John Macaulay died in 1989, sadly, too early. He was about 44 years old. And... What was interesting is that between playing and refing, I, I try to hold different potpourri of, of jobs, trying to find a niche. I was a police officer. I, I sold cars. I worked in a radio station. I did a lot of different things, trying to find my way. And I was refereeing, and I was coaching high school hockey on Cape Cod, and I was refereeing. And the referees in the association down there had a meeting with me after one of the uh, – Nihoa meetings, and they said to me at Jake's over a pizza and a beer, you shouldn't be refereeing on Cape Cod. And I was like, I thought I was being, you know, discharged, fired, insulted, or what. They said, you're too good. You should go to the National Hockey League. So I tried to get into college hockey, and I got, I got shunted aside. I wasn't the typical type of person that they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And they made that clear to me. They were Harvard guys. And the Harvard guys, they, they have that attitude that you've got to be a water bug and a great puck handler and all that stuff. And I played a totally different game. Well, they also knew you went to Penn, so they didn't. Yeah, that was another thing. <laughs> but uh, the fellow who was running the ECAC at the time, Brian Petrovic, I had played against, and his coach was Bill Cleary. Ironically, played for my grandfather in the 1957 U.S. national team. And they just had a distaste for the way I played the game. And that's too bad because they never left the womb yeah. of the Charles River. And I, I, I made it, and I can honestly say, I played on a line with Glenn Sather and Norm Ullman. I, I, I walked in to a room at the All-Star Game in 2000 in Toronto, and Bobby Hull and Gordy Howe both got up and gave me a hug. And I just look at that. And I, when Gordy retired from Hartford and stepped out of hockey, they asked me to be the MC at, at his retirement dinner. So I achieved the respect that I hadn't gotten.
mm-hmm. in other places. Yeah. And that's a personal satisfaction, but it's also a lesson for anyone that's listening that you can achieve whatever you choose to achieve if you have the persistence and the patience and the willingness to overcome your own obstacles. Your own obstacles might be that you might be a little too heavy, so you got to work on getting your weight down. If you, you, you don't have a good, quick enough right hand, if you're a fighter, you, you've got to move on that. And you've got to hitting golf balls or whatever it, it takes, constant and persistent effort. And the fact is that I would never quit. And that's been something they can put on my gravestone. I'd never quit. So we're gonna get it. We're gonna get into a little bit more on your because uh, you did have some battles you had to go with personally with your health, and we're gonna get into that as well. You had a long-standing officiating career, uh, one of the most well-respected uh, to ever be in the NHL. Um, <clears throat> before we go any further, I just want to make sure everybody understands that our uh, today's podcast is sponsored by the Corib Pub and Restaurant, twenty thirty Center Street in West Roxbury. Great atmosphere, fantastic food, excellent staff, and a perfect pour of Guinness. That's the Corib Pub and I know it well. And you I know, know it well, well. <laughs> and and I tell you why. My dad's team played at uh, at Billings Field right yeah. behind it, yeah. and when my mother passed, we had our. Uh, was buried at St. Joseph's. We, everybody wants to own land in West Roxbury. I, yeah. I've got 24 plots. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we went to the Corb Pub for a uh, post-funeral uh, party, and the folks there were terrific. And uh, I, I, I know Santa Street so well, yeah, St. Teresa's that's, Church. That's where we have our post-funeral uh, receptions. <laughs> too. The Bly family is a very good family, but that's uh, fantastic. Um, so I'm going to let... We're going to pass it around let other people ask questions. Why not? I, I know we want to get into more of your officiating, uh, and I got a few uh, after that. But, Joe, you want to go? Yeah, I'll ask a few questions. So, <clears throat> like, That's my confirmation name, by <clears throat> the way. St. Joseph, patron saint of workers. If you notice when <laughs> in the statue that he's holding Jesus, and in the other hand he's holding a carpenter's square. And as well, um, when someone asked where Jesus was. Joseph said he's he he wasn't sure, but Jesus said I, I'm I'm being about my father's business, and I chose Joseph uh, as my confirmation name. Uh, he's also the patron saint of a happy death. I've had a good life. Yeah. So I want to make sure that when I get mm-hmm. to the gates, they don't say stand over there. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll drop the gloves. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, this question is kind of a more of the somber side, but I feel like I should um, get this out of the way. Like, so in 1998, uh, you refed the game between the Rangers and the Maple Leafs, but three days prior to that game, uh, you got uh, blood test results back, pointing that you might have cancer. How were you mentally and physically during that game and games involving that when you were just unsure of what was going on with your health? Well, it's in actuality even a little bit more serious than that because it was February 22nd that my son was born. And on February 23rd, Dr. Uh, Kearney uh, brought me in after I had all the tests and said uh, that they had ruled out prostate cancer, but they felt that colon cancer was the reason why I was so anemic and I wasn't feeling well. And and Katie Couric had just lost her husband and they had done a special on on the Today Show, and my wife slapped me and said, watch this. You have all those symptoms. So being who I am, you know, and having 
gone through injuries and other different challenges, I went about my business. And I don't hit people over the head with my own faith, but my father told me a few days before I, uh, we parted and he passed away. Of co- I was in Edmonton, uh, refereeing, December 6th, 1987. Um, he, he said to me, you have a lot of talent, and you've, you've got to take over because I won't be here when you get back. And to get that type of responsibility means that people depend on you. And I had a wife and a baby and a family, plus my job, which I had fought hard to get, and I wasn't about to surrender. Mm-hmm. And I took seven years a lot, and we, we talked about the University of Pennsylvania. I had two years there. It's a great school. Prior to that, I went to the finest secondary school in the world, Groton. And my roommate is the Rhodes Scholar and a congressman. And we were only 35 kids in my class. But I took five years of Latin there. And illegitimi non cabarendum. It's what Caesar said to a general who was being besieged. And Caesar was on his way. And he was sending him a message of hope. Don't let the bastards get you down. And I, I think... I don't like bullies, and I don't like quitting, and I would never, I always wonder if I had been in in combat, would I have the guts to be able to face it, and I had to face those things. I went out on that ice that night in Toronto, and I had seen Gretzky that day walking on the street and we bumped into each other and the picture of my son was in, he, he had a, we made a little referee sweater for him and and he, he, of course he was named after a famous Canadian John McCauley and, and Gretzky congratulated me and I said so what are you doing here? They had just come back from Nagano and he says well, hey, we're playing tonight Stu I said oh I'm reffing he goes yeah I figured that and I, I, I was a little distracted but I didn't tell him why. I never told anybody in the National Hockey League I was sick until August. I went, I didn't have to tell anybody. It was my business. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I had the best doctors and the best team of physicians, people helping me and supporting me, that I just went about my business. And like Jesus did, I went about my father's business, my father and my grandfather's business. And the game must go on. And I went out there and did the job. And after that game, <clears throat> Gretzky had said he owned a restaurant in Toronto with uh, the fellow that, that uh, John Bitoff that owned the, the Raptors. We're going to have a big party over at, at my restaurant. Go on over after. I said, well, I, I can't really go there, uh, Gretz. Uh, you know, me drinking with the Rangers. He goes, no, no, we're flying home. He said, but my parents will be there. You know them, and there'll be a lot of people you know. I walked in. There was a big banner over the back of the head table. Congratulations, Macaulay. And a magnum of champagne and a stick that Wayne Gretzky signed to, to my son. Wow. So if you think That's pretty awesome. that I could ever quit or give in, excuses are for losers. Yeah. And I wasn't going to flag. I wasn't going to fail. I was going to hang in there and uh, show people what I had. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to think that Father Coyne, who may be the last guy to say anything about me, is going to say, 
Love him, hate him. He was a tough guy mm-hmm. with a big heart. Yeah, speaking of how tough you are, you didn't you didn't like no ass kissing. And uh, I read in your book that you got um, let go from Nesson. Uh, do you want to touch upon that and explain how that happened? Well, I had retired as a referee in 2003 and I had several offers to do different things. The Bruins offered me a chance to become the director of their new charitable foundation which I did and along the way the people at Nesson asked me if I would be a color coordinator in the studio similar to Dale Arnold and other different folks and I said sure and I was doing pretty well. Montreal played the Bruins one night. Kerry Fraser was refereeing and it's not the the bond of blue like police necessarily, but you have to be objective when you watch hockey games. And I'm a purist when it comes to it. I'm antiseptic. I'm Clorox. I have no color. I don't care. I don't care who wins. I don't care who loses. I just want to see good players play and play well and, and do their thing. And and there was a play at the start of the game where the, the player for Montreal gave a Bruin four or five tugs. The guy was on a breakaway, and he lost the puck. And it wasn't overt. And the Bruin player lost his chance to score, and the Montreal player got a penalty. But it wasn't a penalty shot. Or it was a penalty shot. I'm sorry. It was a penalty shot. And O'Connell, who was the GM at the time, who I had played against, and then I refereed, uh... He, he kind of had a hair across his butt for me because of three things. A, I wasn't Canadian. B, I had been a referee. C, I was not a broom. And I heard that they wanted to have someone in the, offic- uh, in the department of, of their charitable organization that was an ex-Bruin. They wanted it to be a Bruin, and they thought I was not the fit. So the old alumni said that they weren't going to go to any events that I was at or sponsoring. So that pretty well takes the charitable foundation out of And they hated that I was on television. So I'm out. Mm-hmm. O'Connell called me up and, you know, laced me. He says, you could have been a Bruin. You could have. I turned. I said, the rule's the rule. I said, the guy lost the chance to shoot the puck. The Boston guy tugged him, tugged him, tugged him. What, you know, what are we going to do? So that's, you know, he, I, I, I see him now and I'm polite because I'm in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I'm not going to lower my standards of class and dignity just because he's a major league dink. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get their call, so you get bounced. That's right. That's ridiculous. What words do you have to any uh, people that are called homers, like Jack Edwards, for instance, how they owe their bias? Jack Edwards knows I don't care for the way he... I mean, the way he calls a game is his style, and that's fine and good Mm -hmm. dandy, but I knew Bob Wilson and I knew Fred Cusick, and I knew a lot of great uh, announcers, and he's far from that because of the fact that and lately he's tried to be a little better as far as like learning the rules and he went to a training camp and so on and so forth but you know what listen I sat two seats away from him one night in the press box I was a standby for the Stanley Cup playoffs game with Buffalo it was the game that Adam Oates scored the goal and won won the game knocked the series and Jack Edwards was literally debasing the officials from the press box and I'm sitting two seats away I finally get up and said to him the next time you talk about a referee like this I said because there's a rule here 
you don't talk about officiating in this press box. I said, I'm going to take you and flip you right over that edge. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean it. And when I say something, and if I tell you that's the way it is, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And actually, Nate Greenberg had to be, hey, Stu, you know, calm down, calm down. I said, this guy's an idiot. Mm -hmm. So he knows how I feel. Hey, listen, their job is to report what happens, not to give an opinion, especially based on lack of knowledge, the ignorance. It's mm -hmm. sell ignorance, and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How's that, Joe? That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the only, yeah, you're not the only one that thinks that. There you go. Across the and, and good luck to him. He's got a wife and kids, yeah. and you know, do your thing. But the fact of the matter is, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to be uh, sitting here smooching his backside. Right. Mm -hmm. um, another thing: when you were a player or as a ref, were there any places you went that had fan bases that were just like? totally off the edge and just didn't they were different from other fan bases that were just too wild or threw stuff on the ice were there any of those that happened in, i told in i told mike illich who was the owner of detroit who also owns little caesar's pizza that was the best thing that ever happened to his pizza business he said why is that i said i skate out here they throw 30 40 of those pies right out on the ice i said gotta be selling more pizza and the fact of the matter is that you know everybody has their whole personality that you know the felks in detroit and it was a big rink joe lewis i put i skated in in the olympia prior in the old i've skated in five of the six original ranks in the nhl uh the only one i didn't get to was the first madison square garden at 48th and 8th but i told illich that and one night in toronto uh the owner was sitting with a bunch of his directors right behind the penalty box, and in those days, the glass wasn't too high, and one of them was catcalling me and giving me a hard time, and he was sitting next to this very attractive woman, and I looked at her, and I pointed to her. I said, hey, you. She said, me? I said, yeah, you. I said, is this the only way you can get a ticket to the game? I said, next time I come... I'll get you a better seat. You don't have to sit and listen to that guy. <laughs> and, and it was sort of uh, it was sort of funny because they all they all laughed. And when the game was over, they their director's lounge was right next to the referee's room, and they all stopped in to shake hands and smile. And you can disarm people. I used to go to the New York Island, and I had a reputation of letting the players decide who won the game. I tried not to interfere, but I always had another aspect of how I officiated that I had in particular because I had a unique experience before any of the other referees. I played at that high level. I knew all these guys, and I could tell what they were going to do a lot of times before they did it. And I could see the coach giving this little tap and sending the guy out and whatever. I said, you know, and nothing, there was nobody ever put on a pair of skates that I was afraid of. And, and so I could see this stuff, and I had this reputation of allowing the players to decide the outcome. And I got a lot of New York Ranger Islander games, and those were fierce rivalries. Calgary, Edmonton, Boston, Montreal, those, that's the, the level of this. And I came out of the rink, and this one guy, used to, he used to wear this, like, a wig, silver, and he would uh, really give me a hard time. And I said to him, after all that yelling at the game, I'm walking out of the rink with my, with my bag. I'm going over to the hotel, which is only 100 yards away, Marriott, right there in Uniondale. I said to him, uh, you must be thirsty. 
He goes, why? I said, come on with me. We'll go have a beer. You can yell at me all you want, and I'll buy. <laughs> and you know what? After that, he became one of my biggest rooters and always, you know, when I had a kid, he brought me a present for my, for my baby. And I, I told Illich, I'm the reason why the whole city of Detroit doesn't go nuts. Because all day long, those guys at the car uh, factories, they take a nut and put it on a bolt. All day long. And then they go home and their wife yells at them and the dog pisses on the lawn and all this other stuff. And you know what? I, I give them the opportunity to vent. And it's no problem. I told... Uh, someone uh, from uh, Atlanta when Ted Turner owned the team down there, I'm the best thing that ever happened to television. He says, why is that? I said, because I bet you probably 20, 30 TV clickers go flying across the room. <laughs> <laughs> I know I make better Christians of everybody. And, and the guy's like, why is that? I said, because I skate on the ice. They go, Jesus Christ, not him again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Mike, you got it? What do you got? Um, what was like the best and worst facility that you were ever in? As a player or as a referee? Either. Or well, both. A true dump. It's interesting <laughs> yeah, because a once, true dump. once you were on the ice, all you know, the rinks had different dimensions and you'd go to Chicago Stadium and it was a small rink in Boston. Buffalo were small rinks, they were small. But, you know, in particular, uh, as a referee the LA Forum was the smallest dress room that I was ever in next to the Boston Garden. The Boston Garden at least had animal life because you'd look down and there'd be a rat scurrying by you. <laughs> <laughs> but in LA, <clears throat> with the size of some of our linesmen before the game, we would have to go out into the hallway and stretch. And there was a VIP lounge right nearby. And all of these Hollywood types, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn and Jack Nicholson and all these people would walk by and we got to know them. And so that, it, it, it was a terrible room, but the byproduct of it was that we had experiences. I met a raft of people that, you know, really, you know, you sit there and you say, wow. Yeah, you know, and you know, people have often asked me, who, who are the most famous people that you met? I said, how much time do you have? <laughs> you know, and you know, going from when I was a kid, caddy in a Hyannisport, and Jackie Kennedy used to run the inside five holes, and then stand at the top and have have a smoke, <laughs> and so that that was a tough spot as far as it went on the ice. If you didn't referee the game that the people in Montreal wanted you to, or Quebec, then you heard about it. And it was funny because I speak French because I played up there. And uh, I went into Quebec one night and uh, they were throwing. It was a week after the toilet paper game when they threw all sorts of toilet paper on the ice in Quebec. And Fraser had refereed. And uh, Wayne Bonnie th called a major penalty for elbowing on the blue line. I got knocked into the bench. The door opened and I fell backwards and I didn't see the play. And uh, I went reported the penalty and the people started pelting the ice with all sorts of stuff and i just told washington you go to the dress room schoenfeld was coaching i went and i told bergeron you go to the dress room well what you're going to do i said uh, we're stopping the game you can't do that i said see those orange things i can do whatever i want batman can't stop me i'm in charge here 
and I went into the my dressing room. And I'm, I had they had TV uh, a TV there, and I'm watching the Montreal game, and they had captains' chairs, and you could put your feet up. <laughs> And they had little sandwiches and soda and such. And I'm sitting there, and the owner of Quebec came down, the general manager, who I knew them because I played there. And, uh, Paul, Paul, what are, you, what are you going to do? I said, uh, we're going to wait. I said, the money's in the bank. These guys paid their, for their tickets. And there's five minutes left to go, and you get a major penalty. I said, so we're going to clear the building, and we'll finish the game without them. I said, because otherwise it's... <laughs> <laughs> I said it's not safe to go out there because <clears throat> they were throwing loonies and toonies with a like a silver dollar that type of thing. You get hit in the eye, that's the end of that. So I, my concern was that, and I wasn't going to let them intimidate me. I said, or we can do this. You have your announcer announce that anybody throws anything more on the ice, they will be arrested and prosecuted. And say it in French because I speak French. <laughs> I said, and I want six of the biggest cops to stand just above where I go on the ice. And when the announcement happens, I'm going to stand in the doorway. And the first guy or person that throws anything at me... I want the cops to go down on either side and yank them out and cuff them right there. And if you don't, I'm going to turn around and come back in here and wait for the building to be cleared. And we'll finish without them. <laughs> and that's what happened. They got six big cops. <laughs> Somebody threw a, a big soda, hit me in the back, and... I just turned around, and I saw the cops go down. They yanked this guy out of the seats, cuffed him, took him out, and I, I, I went, I, you know, I waved my finger to the crowd. And I pointed, and I said, this is what you're going to get. And they all calmed down, and we finished the game. <laughs> and you know what? People say to me all the time, oh, that couldn't have happened. Yes, it did. Anything I tell you that happened, happened. Yeah. I just, I'm... I'm incapable of, <clears throat> of embellishment and fabricating. It's just not me. And I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, now I go back to Quebec for the 50th reunion of the uh, Quebec Major Pee Wee Tournament. And they got, they're introducing all the fellows from the NHL that had played in the tournament. And the last three are Paul Stewart, Mario Lemieux, and Mark Messier. So I'm standing in the runway underneath the stands with those two guys. So I said, so fellas, who do you think is going to get the biggest cheer? <laughs> and, and Messier's looking at me, why? I said, well, you, you two guys are the, you know, the cream of the crop in the NHL, but who's going to get the biggest cheer? And they said, uh, Mess said, probably Mario. He's from here. And I said, nah, I will. And I'll bet you dinner tonight after the game's over, we're going to go to uh, Café de la Paix. The cafe of the peace, and uh, and they're both chuckling, and and Lemieux says, "Really, you're going to get the biggest cheer?" I said, "Yeah." So they Messier is announced. He goes out, big cheer, everybody, whoa, whoa, whoa Messier, uh, and now Lemieux, whoa, standing ovation for a minute, minute and a half. Hey, la, la, and and uh, maintenant tonight, now uh, the the referee for tonight's game, a former Nordique, Paul Stewart. I go out, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and i skate up through the uh through the <laughs> through the players get to center i do a little peggy uh fleming stop with my foot i'm looking back at lemieux and messier and they're laughing and they're you know like we're gonna eat tonight on you and everything and i went moment. and i unzipped my referee sweater and pulled it off and underneath i had my nordiques jersey and i went like this 
and the place went nuts and I skated around and and the the, the owner of the team and the president of the league they were all cheering and I, and I went back and I said so what kind of wine do you think we should have <laughs> dinner's on you guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not funny yeah that's awesome um, and then another question I had was when you were refing who was the player that you always had to watch because they were just a dirty player well it's not so much that you had to watch them it's just that you know in order to maintain the safety of the players that there were certain guys that um, played a little bit differently than others and you know the real tough guys you didn't really have to worry about Tony Twist uh, guy like uh, uh, maybe Neely or they're they're tough they were tough guys they're, they're no doubt about it but you had to watch uh, Leperia played for the Bruins for a while and then he played uh, for Detroit and you had to watch uh, the kid uh, for Edmonton um, I forget his name but he, he was bad with the stick and uh, you know there were some certain guys but I I, I used to uh, you know they'd, they'd get out there like this and you know I I just tell them I may miss one but I won't miss the second and occasionally uh, as I say uh, I remember one night Byers was standing there with a kid named Van Dorp and Van Dorp kept pushing Byers and we were on a TV timeout so I skated over you can see it on YouTube I skated over and I said do you want to fight him he says yeah I said uh, Lyndon you want to fight him he goes yeah I'll fight him I said okay go ahead Oh, we, we haven't dropped the puck. I looked at the linesman. I said, "Drop the puck." And we're still in the TV timeout. <laughs> <laughs> and Byers one punched him and knocked Jeez. him flat cold. And see, I often said, you know, I I refereed a game in Saskatoon in the juniors, and Shane Shirley fought Wendell Clark, and I thought that was one of the best fights I ever saw. And you know, the best way to to stop fights is to let them know that you're not going to stop them. And I used to tell them, you got a lot to say. Why don't you go to Center Ice and sh let's show us what you got? People were buying tickets. We, were, well, I want to see what you got. <laughs> and I, I held apart two guys one night. I, you know, I was kind of strong, and I, I held them apart. And they kept pushing, pushing. And, and I said, listen, I just came from the dentist. I got eight new teeth. I said, and I'm not standing in the way of you two mutts. So. You want to fight each other? Help yourself. <laughs> and, and then I told the linesman, don't get in. And on that Churla fight with Wendell Clark, when that fight was over, the linesman went to get in, and I pulled them both back. I said, I'll take care of this. So I said, you guys ready for me? And then they, they were tired, and it was a great fight. And I skated between them, and we were going to the box, and it was the Western Hockey League Memorial Cup uh, playoffs. And we get halfway to the box, and I'm between these two guys. They're both big guys. And I raised their arms like champions, and the place went nuts. <laughs> and the owner of Saskatoon, Bill Hunter, came down, and he said to me, he says, you're great for the game, you know? Awesome. Be Showmanship. Yeah, you got to have a little bit of that because it is a show. Yeah. I got resented a lot because I had natural enthusiasm, which is okay. Yeah? I'm in five Hall of Fames. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you're the, one, you're the one laughing now. Yeah, who's counting? <laughs> that, <clears throat> so that leads us into a, a good topic I want to bring up. The night you fought Terry O'Reilly, uh, Stan Jonathan, Al Secord, and Wayne Cashman. 
in one game. In one game. <laughs> yeah. Now, now those are, well, those one are, before the game and the others after. Those are guys that... Or during. <laughs> those are guys that a regular human wouldn't want to fight once in their life. You fought four of them in one game. I would have fight more, fought more, but they... they Elaborate I, on that story, please. Well... <laughs> It was uh, November 22nd, 1979. People ask me all the time, how do you remember this stuff? And Bettman even asked me, he said, you know, a guy like you, you're signed up for the concussion suit. And I said, well, my pension's Canadian. Why wouldn't I try to get something? Right. And uh, he, he said, but I've heard you speak. You're so articulate. You remember everything. He said, how can you in good conscience sign up for the uh, concussion lawsuit? And I said to Gary Bettman, I put my hand on his shoulder. I said, well, thank you, Frank. (laughs) 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 And Bill Daly was standing there next to him, and he laughed, and I winked and walked away. But basically what it came down to was on November 22nd, a Thursday night, Thanksgiving, uh, there was a call to arms by the Bruins to go after the captain of the Quebec Nordiques, Robbie Fatorik. And Robbie and I had played together two years in Cincinnati in the WHA, and two nights before that, on the Tuesday, on November 20th, in Quebec, they played back-to-back games, they played the Bruins, and Schmatz ran a Fatorik, and Fatorik cross-checked him in the mouth and knocked out a bunch of teeth and cut him badly. And, of course... Now the Bruins are going to get Fatorik because he's coming into the Boston Garden. I was down in the minors playing in Cincinnati, not the WHA team, same name, but they had shifted Indianapolis, Birmingham, and we didn't make the NHL cut, uh, the expansion. But on my contract, I picked up by Quebec. Jacques Demers was coach. He had been my coach in in Cincinnati. And the the call went out to me. I was actually training with Aaron Pryor and Mustafa Muhammad, Ali's brother. And in the gym there, Aaron Pryor was world champion. And uh, I, I, I would go to practice and skate, and then I'd go up to the gym and work out, and I'd do three, four rounds with those guys. And, I, you know, and I'd hit the bag. Because I knew somewhere along the way the call would come, and it came. The Wednesday morning, I was at Cincinnati's practice, and the coach called me off the ice and brought me into his office. He said, uh, I, I, I don't know if you know what went on last night in Quebec. I said, no. He's, and Quebec had my contract. And he said, uh, well, Fatorik's going to get killed tomorrow night in Boston, and they want you, so you're going. And I... I jumped up so high, I put my hand through the panel of the roof. <laughs> and, and I was happy. And I got on a flight to Boston, and um, I stayed at my parents' house that night. And the next morning, Thanksgiving morning, I called Fernie Flam and I said, hey, you know, I, I, can I come in and skate with you guys? And I skated with Northeastern for about an hour. And I called the team together. I said, I'm going to play my first game in the NHL tonight, and I'm going to have three fights. And I'm going to pick them. <laughs> and it's funny because a lot of the guys that were there remember that. And uh, Fernie did. And, and Don McKenney, God rest his soul, both of them, great guys. And I was walking into the garden. I actually went to the hospital the night before. Mass General, his kid, uh, Chris, Christus Caldas, lived two doors away from me. And he was in trouble with cancer. He was nine. And I went to see him. I said to him, 
I'm going to play tomorrow night at Boston. You watch the game, and uh, I'm going to wave to you. So I went to the garden. I walked up the ramp, and Bobby Miller, who I played summer hockey with, and I knew well, and he played at UNH, and I played against him at Penn. And uh, he's like, Stu, what are you doing here? I said, never mind, Bobby. It's easy to figure out. I said, do me a favor. We're standing in front of the old Boston Garden uh, Bruins dress room in the East Lobby. I said, go in and tell those guys that I'm here. And anybody wants a piece of Fatoric, they can come out now. We'll get it done right here. Before the crowd gets here, we'll do it right now. And I stood there, and Miller said, you kidding me? I said, no, go ahead. I said, and I'm not going after you. I said, the guys that want to have a piece of Fatoric, you tell them I'm right here. And O'Reilly and Cashman came to the door, and they opened the door, and they looked. I said, are you first? Who's first? <laughs> <laughs> and, and they just laughed at me and shut the door. I went down and got dressed, and I went out for the warm-up, and we're skating clockwise, and the Bruins are skating counterclockwise. Cut right through the center of the ice and the B, and Cashman speared me right in the shoulder with the stick. And I turned and wheeled and went right into the Bruins' end zone after him. And, of course, both teams converged. And Cashman and I turned the sticks over as I had learned in the, in the minors how to stick fight. There's an art to it. And uh, I had a couple guys that taught me well. And Larry Mavity was one and another guy named Rick Pagnuti. And, and these were tough guys and had made their living in the minors. And trust me, um, I knew what I was doing. And Cashman says, I'm going to stick this right down your throat. I said, what do you think I'm carrying, a salmon? Help yourself. <laughs> so that ended up Jean Rattel for the Bruins and, and I think Mark Tarta for Quebec calmed it down. And we just went about our business, and I went out. And we were playing, and... Um, O'Reilly, in a face-off, stuck his stick in the back of the knee of Wally Weir. Now, Wally had fought him two nights before. I knew everything that was going on. you got to be prepared for these things. And I stepped between Wally and O'Reilly. He says, you fought him Tuesday. It's Thursday. It's my turn. So we dropped the gloves. And the linesman broke us up. So the referee, Dave Newell, gave us a minor penalty each for delay of the game. And I'm sitting in the box, and I said to O'Reilly, uh, because in the old garden, there was no glass between the penalty boxes. And in fact, the Bruins players could climb right over the sidewall. Yeah. And I I said, hey, you guys get any water over there? And Cheevers, who was not playing that night, Jose Bear was the goalie. He squirts the water at me. So I looked at him and I said, uh, you live in Linfield, don't you? And the two guys that were opening and shutting the door, their father was uh, like Irish Mafia from Charlestown, two tough kids. And, and uh, you know, I said, you think these two mutts are going to protect you? I said, when this game's over, I'm going up to Linfield and burn your house down and shoot your horses. <laughs> 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 and I'm from Dorchester, and it won't bother me a bit. So, uh, you know, and Chivas is like this. I said, yeah, I am. I came out of the box, and, I, and, and there was an icing and O'Reilly and I, we fought. And Terry, subsequently in, in years, has said, how did we do? I said, you put me on the map. I didn't look at who won, who lost. I was there. And we go to the back to the box, and then there's a picture in my book of Jonathan coming over. And I said, hey, Pocahontas, you're next. <laughs> so much for politically correct. <laughs> he's, he's a member of the Sixth 
nations. Yeah, six nations. Yeah. We know them well. Yeah. yeah. So, and a tough guy. I, I don't have a problem with that. But he came over to challenge me. Before he did, Gary Doak, who was playing defense for the Bruins, came over and he, he, he put his stick up. He says, we're going to kill you before you get out of here tonight. I said, hey, you. I, I got up and I sort of lurched at him. I said, you go back to the bench. I'm only doing heavyweights. <laughs> so Jonathan came over. I says, you're next. I'll be out in three minutes. And we went out, and you can see the fight on YouTube, and it was a good fight. He started off, he had a cast on his hand, he cut me for like two, three stitches under my eye, and I, I recovered because, you know, getting hit, we trained for that, and we learned. And I learned uh, something from Vinnie Marino about uppercuts, and I learned about getting the guy to drop his chin. Once he drops his chin, you control his face, you control his upper body. You, he can't see. And plus, I had about a three or four inch reach on Jonathan. So I got my hands inside of his, so he had to throw everything from the outside in. And all I did was I just rolled my wrists. And when I did, he couldn't hit me anywhere but on the upper arm. But I hit him with a right cross right at the end. And it staggered him. And I saw his eyes. And I, I just pulled him in. And I said, fight's over. <laughs> and he says, I cut you. I said, a lot of guys have cut me, but you didn't beat me. So we'll have to do this again. <laughs> and, we, and he got tossed. And then at the end of the game, they put me out at right wing with Fatorik. And uh, Secord, I, I didn't know who he was. I thought I was going to have to fight um, the other guy, um, for the Bruins, the tough kid, um, and I, he didn't show up. So Secord, he sort of jumped me a little bit, and we're wrestling and around, and he's trying to do what he was trying to do. And so I said, "To hell with this!" I just took my thumb and stuck it right up his nose, and I <laughs> gave it a twist. <laughs> and, and, and the funny part is, Dave Newell was the referee, and he had a, a, a part in my history later on in life. But the two linesmen, Jerry Gauthier and uh, uh, another guy uh, from Edmonton, they were out there, and wouldn't you know, uh, I end up working with all three. And in fact, my first game in the NHL, I went as an observer with my equipment down in the dressing room, Montreal at Boston, Dave New was the referee, and he got hurt, and they put me in. Mm. And so that is a little twist of fate there. But my night in Boston, and I tell this, <clears throat> put me on the map. Because I then went into Islanders and Philadelphia, and, you know, they knew if they wanted to intimidate the Quebec Nordiques, they had to go through me. Yeah. And that was fine. It didn't bother me. Uh, my contract for the next year called me to be paid by the Nordiques 70000 U.S., and Kim Claxon and Jonathan, they were making 50 Canadian, which is half of what I, you know, it was half of what I was making. And uh, it's, it's just, so Quebec released me. I had a chance, Magnuson uh, from Chicago wanted to sign me, and uh, Buffalo Sabres wanted to sign me. I went to Buffalo training camp, and when, when I got the contract, uh, they were going to send me to Rochester, which was fine. Larry Playfield took his hand. He was their tough guy, and he banged it through a, a pinball machine and cut his hand. I would have been in Buffalo the whole year. And um, I was married to a woman who, after seven years of going from city to city, said, I've had enough, and if you don't come home, we're done. So I went home, and 
ironically, then my life twisted, and I ended up be, be from being a guy that needed referees to being one <laughs> referee himself. Well, some could say you were an enforcer your entire career. You you enforced when you were on the ice as a player. <clears throat> Get all those penalty minutes for fighting, <laughs> enforcing everybody and protecting, but now you enforce it as a ref. You're very polite, and I appreciate that. Try to be. <laughs> but what it comes down to is that a lot of people say, you know, oh, you were just a goon. No, I was a guy that knew my own skill level. I knew what tools I had in my toolbox, and I knew what it took. Plus, a lot of people don't realize this, and I keep saying this to folks, uh, they didn't want me. Yeah. Because I was born in the Dorchester St. Margaret's Hospital was well south of the St. Lawrence River. They didn't <laughs> want me. They hated uh, Americans. I played in Quebec with Fatorik. We're the only two Americans. He got hurt. I was the only American. I'm sitting in the dressing room in February watching the U.S. Olympic team. I stood up and said, see, see you guys, we know how to play the game too. And it's the same challenges that my grandfather had, refereeing in the NHL, 1928, the only American. And then he wins a Stanley Cup. Con Smythe hated him. My grandfather should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you know what they said to him? They have one in the U.S. Go there. And that's just their attitude. Yeah. And if you look at, there's only one American official in the National Hockey League Hall of Fame in Toronto. And that's Bill Chadwick. And you know what? My grandmother was from Nova Scotia. I don't have any, and I, I have, I love going to Canada, and I have lots of friends there. But what it comes down to is I'm also an American kid, yeah. and I'm not going to take a back seat to anybody. And that included the Russians. I, I, I faced down their leadership when I was running the KHL. They all, Putin, Medvedev, and all those, they, they were mad at me. And you know what? How many years did you spend in Russia? Two? Three. Three. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's a, a, an interesting point because here is a league dominated by the country that they have most of their teams in, and they brought me in because they recognized something that I could do, which was straighten it out and get it honest. And I had to really step into some team presidents and some general managers because they were they were they were bribing the officials. Were you ever concerned with your safety there? Like, did they have an eye on you? Or they had an eye on me? Yeah. No, I wasn't concerned because I, I had a I had a pass, a little leather case, and said special advisor to the president. And my drive, I had a driver, I had a I had a bodyguard, I had an interpreter, but I I pretty well took what we call the T. I call I took the Montre uh, the um, the Moscow Metro, which is a fantastic uh, train system, and I, I I would just you know we we're incognito and go. There were five teams in in Moscow, and it was easier because the traffic was terrible to to get to the rinks just by tr by the local MBTA. You speak Russian? Da, chut chut. You ever stop a game with five minutes to go? <laughs> I went in the dressing room and, and fired a guy oh, God. because they wore earpieces. And I about 20 seconds after this play happened, he put his arm up. And I had looked up to the press box, and I had seen the general manager talking. And I knew that they had tapped into this guy's earpiece and told him, that's a hook, and he called a penalty. And I went in the dressing room after. I said, so... The guy, it was uh, Dynamo, Moscow Dynamo. I, I backed that guy right up against the wall, that general manager. Wow. And I fired that referee. 
Well, I just want to say we got one thing in common. You're not the only one sitting there who's fought someone from uh, Six Nations uh-huh. on the ice. So. Is that right, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. We'll show you it, that one after. It's, it's an interesting thing, and a lot of people they say. They like the fight. Yeah, and but but the fact is that in many senses, the the, the various chores that people who want to succeed have to take on uh aren't necessarily the most pleasant things but you do it because it's the way that you have uh the best avenue to get to where you want to go to the level of success that you want to reach and listen don't kid yourself if you look at at the the fighters that you're fighting and and uh, the fighters that are boxing and and all even even in the football in the national football league you know a lot of it is minority people looking for a way to get to the top and just think about it you know think about guys like joe lewis and and jackie robinson and and uh willie o'ree i mean you know they had tough roads to hoe to get there and when you're not the mainstream wasp then you gotta fight i went to groton school and i was a catholic and it was episcopalian school and trust me bigotry and and things like that don't happen overtly all the time they happen subtly mm-hmm. and in, and in, in the situation i was in in edmonton you know i walk in and beaten and 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 scarf or, or two guys i ended up fighting both of them and they didn't do as well with me but they got chosen because they were from north of the border and i can tell you right now i'm nothing frank beaton's a tough guy and i like him and teddy scarf was a tough guy i fought them both and you know what i got nothing but respect for them but i can tell you i was a better fighter than they were i just didn't get the chance i played two shifts in two games in edmonton and they sent me home so you're you're ending your career with Quebec as a player, and I remember you telling me this a long time ago, and and I love the story. It's quick, but I love it. You get down to about you didn't play the entire game. You get down to like I don't know ten seconds left or whatever. Jacques Demare was your coach. Montreal, we're playing Montreal, and, and tells you to get in the game or something like that. Yeah, because back in those days, a lot of people <laughs> understand about Alan Eagleson screwing Bobby Orr and and Alan Eagleson with his shady dealings and you know sliding in with the ownership and, and yeah. things like that. There was a part of the NHL Players Association agreement, the union contract, that said that in order for a game to be played, to be counted for your pension, that you had to actually step on the ice. So I was in Quebec for a lot of games that I never saw the game. I never played. Yeah. And the fact is that you're playing, Montreal's playing Quebec. It's the last game of the regular season. We're out of the playoffs. And Nyland's sitting on the Montreal bench, West Roxbury kid, with my brother's roommate at Northeastern. And he and I are waving to each other. And I went by and Claude Ruel, a one-eyed coach at Montreal, I said, hey, Blinky, put Nyland in. <laughs> So we can get a shift. We'll put we'll put some excitement into this game. But you know, Lafleur's playing, and all of these guys uh, are playing, and they're not going to put me in. Yeah. So I'm sitting on the end of the bench, and I go from one end of the bench to the other end of the bench to the la- other end of the bench. Now I'm sitting by the door, and I'm opening the door for the players. And Demers comes down. There's six seconds left. He says, "Cat," my nickname is Shah. Shah, Fazi, get out there. 
I said, geez, Jack, I'd love to, but I don't have my skates on. <laughs> I had taken them off. Because <laughs> when the game was over, I was just going to walk into the dress room. Took your skates off. Oh, man. I love that. Now, officiating right now, currently, uh, certainly West Macaulay is, is very well known. Um, and it's really what you've alluded to. It's all about game management. How do you manage the game? How do you get along with, interact with the players? And you, you can hear, oftentimes you hear Wes McCauley, the way he talks to a, to players. He played. Uh, and he has tremendous control and command of the game. And he's well-respected. Shout out Wes McCauley. Do you think that they, or specifically Wes, has learned a lot of, from his dad and you and the way that, you know, you, you can become a really good official? I think bloodlines have a lot to do with his success, no no doubt, because when he was a little boy, his father was an on-ice referee. Yeah. And then growing up, even to the point uh, in 1989 when his father passed away, he had just signed uh, a, a college four-year agreement to go to Michigan State. And the fact is that he... You know, he he roomed with with some good players that played in the National League. He was certainly around it, playing in the minors. He got drafted, um, in, I think, by Detroit and last pick. But you know, so what? He yeah. he he had the pedigree. But the other thing is that he he went through every phase of the lower levels to get to where they are. The one issue now, and I'm sort of. I guess kind of the problem when they saw that ex players made pretty good referees, even begrudgingly giving me any respect, they decided that was the way that they were going to take the footprint moving forward. And so now they've looked for guys that have only played in the minors or played in, in majority. Ten percent of the officiating uh, staff of a hundred mm -hmm. is American. Ninety percent are Canadian. And it might be even <clears throat> greater. What might be ninety-two percent, which means that that they don't have a lot of guys. And it's the reason being is that the department is based in Toronto, and it's all Canadian guys, controlled by the Canadians. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and that's Colin Campbell. I told people in '98 I had colon cancer, and then after that I had Colin Campbell. And <laughs> <laughs> so you just look at, you know, their attitude, and I just think that you know we've got a couple kids ryan daisy's one I, I i used to have working for me and he used to come to my skating schools and you know he's a linesman very very solid guy and they're you know, rooney from south boston yeah he's a good kid uh i worked with him when early on so you've got and he was a kid that didn't play anywhere so he's done it because he's talented. And he's got like 1,500 games himself. Yeah, now. but he's been in yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. So and, and speaking of Rooney, so everybody likes to always, you know, make their comments about him when he refs the Bruins or whatever. And the opponents always say, well, it's going to be one-sided tonight. Well, oftentimes, I always feel is that Rooney goes out of his way not to give the Bruins a call. So well, it's, <laughs> it's, I, I just... I. I disavow any of that theory yeah. at all. I'm skating by the bench one night. Pat Burns yells at me, "You screw us yeah. just to prove you're fair." And I turn, I blew the whistle. I stopped the game. I leaned in and I said, "What, what did you say?" Yeah. He said, "You screw the Bruins just to prove you're fair." I turned. I said to him, "That's so illogical." I said, "You know, we got going back and forth, screaming at each other." And I had really no reason to stop the game except for that. 
Boston was playing in a, it was zero zero game. It was against Ottawa. I hadn't called any penalties. It was a little roughing play that happened well behind the play that, and Axelson was the the kid, you know, Swedish kid, and uh, you know he was he was one of those fleet guys that skated around and was a water bug and did all all that ad- antagonizing stuff. And somebody mushed him in the face a little bit. So what? Yeah. You know, that's part of the game in my mind. You know, if there's, if, if my philosophy for penalties was if it happened to me and I'd be pissed off, that's penalty. If it happened to my teammate and I'd want to jump the boards, that's penalty. And if my teammate did it to another guy on the other team and I put my hand over my eyes and said, you know, what the hell did he do that for? That's a penalty. It's pretty simple, a pretty simple recipe for calling penalties. So I said to Burns, you know, we got going. And then Axelson said, I said, listen, pal. When I want to talk to you, I'll talk to the peanut gallery. Bork came over to me. He says, I hope you're not going to hold this against us. I've never seen a coach and a referee get into it. I turned and said, I don't want to hear about this tonight. Post-game interview. I don't want to read about it in the paper. It's between him and me. Yeah. And that's it. And you know what? It's because of the way that Bork was. He controlled the room. And he was a great captain and a great hockey player and a good a good and no a great guy really good guy and i like him a lot and i just think that you know he went in i go in after the game i'm taking my skates off i'm watching the interview on tv and and burns is asked uh what happened between you and stewart in the second period you know burns stood up he said i think paul stewart's one of the best referees in national hockey league i don't think he had his best period tonight you know i can take that yeah. The next night in Buffalo, and I had told Bork this, if I, if I read about this and, or hear it, you won't get a power play. I, Boston played Buffalo. I was reffing. <laughs> <laughs> I went by the bench. I said to Bernsey, hey, I see your wife got another beautiful tie for you tonight. You know, And he just looked at me, you know, and I refereed the first game played in the rink that they dedicated to him in Quebec that's named after him, Pat Burns Arena. Mm-hmm. It's in Stansted, Quebec, just over the border from Newport and Derby. And you can friction's part of the game. Yeah. But you can get past that because the ultimate aspect for every one of us is to be a pro. And, you know, give the people what they're paying for, which is the game. Give them the game. And I, that's why I don't really care who won or lost. And when I tell people about officials and they spout that ignorant statement that, oh, he's from Boston. It's, I was running college hockey, and I had Jean, Jean-Yves Wah played at UMaine, played for uh, Sean Walsh. I had him at St. Lawrence opening night. Maine's playing St. Lawrence, and St. Lawrence coach called me. How can you put him in? He's a Maine graduate. I turned and I said, and he's a Boston Bruin, and he's a great referee. And the guy that had him in UMaine has been dead for 10 years. And I'm not too worried about it. I said, and I'll tell you what, when the game's over, you can call me and tell me how badly I decided to put him in, how bad it was. The guy called me the next day and said, I guess you were right. I said, I don't think you have to guess. I said, I know what I'm doing. I said, (laughs) when a referee steps into the dress room, takes off his street clothes and puts on that uniform... He's Switzerland. Yeah. My grandfather refereed in the National Hockey League and stopped for two years and became the general manager and coach of the Chicago Blackhawks and won a Stanley Cup. And the owner fired him. The owner had 18 years of ownership. He had 18 different coaches. My grandfather, the next year, went back to refereeing. How do you think he was when he went into Chicago? Yeah. 
do you think he might have been a little nervous? Yeah, but he was a pro. And he looked at the game the way it's meant to be looked at, the way I was taught and raised by my father. I'm in the batter's box playing in the park league, and my dad's umpiring the plate, and he banged me on three strikes inside fastballs. Boom, boom, boom. And I get in the car, and I'm driving him home, and I said, I thought they were a little tight. He goes, you're the number four hitter. Swing the bat. You go up there for a reason. I go, to, I go to Brooks the Wednesday after the bean pot in February 1971. Giles Threadgold and my father are refereeing the game. The Brooks coach found out after the game that that was my dad, and he said in front of everybody, how could you referee your son's playing? My father stood up and said, uh, he got the one goal and two assists on his own, but I gave him the five minor penalties. So I think you're way off base. And besides, Giles and I worked the bean pot Monday night. We're the best college officials working a prep school game at 2.30 on a Wednesday. We're off because it's spring, uh, you know, February vacation. Right. End of story. So that's the way I was raised. And that that's why when people bring up, you know, provincialism and yeah. and, and any feeling of... of, of uh, leaning towards someone. Listen, for Torek and, and, and Ronnie Wilson, I played with those guys. I gave four bench minors in 20 years in the National Hockey, in pro hockey. Three of them, one to Fatorik and two to Wilson. The other one I gave to was Brian Murray. He had a lisp. He kept saying, Paul, puck was in. I kept getting spit on. I, ba I banged him. Hey, what do you think on a on a little bit of a oh, touchy subject? What do you think about women breaking in to the NHL? Do you think that will happen? And if you do, is this going to be soon? I know. I mean, I'm the Katie, greatest proponent of that. Is it Katie? Gwet? Katie Gay. Katie. She, yeah, she, she played at Brown. Her. Yeah, so Fantastic. she worked for me in the ECAC, yeah. and she's absolutely one of the most uh, athletic uh, and 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 silky smooth skating. Uh, athletes that I've ever seen yeah. and I said to uh, a, a few people and I know I never had the support because deep down inside there are people that have that that bigotry yeah. about it it's just ridiculous I said I put uh, she was the first woman to work a division one college game Sacred Heart at Union and the people that I answered to were all like if you look down under their feet when the game started, there were small puddles under their feet because they were all, like, nervous. And one person said to me, you know, I hope this works out. I said, she's no different than anybody else that I put out there. Yeah. I said, because I know my job, and I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know what a referee looks like. And I'm going to tell you right now, whether they stand up or sit down to go to the bathroom is immaterial to me. I said, what matters is when they put the whistle to their lips and put their hand in the air. Is it a penalty? That's all I care about. And I think athleticism and intelligence and an appreciation for the game, if you have the experience. She played at Brown. She was yeah. the captain of the team. And she led the Ivy League in penalties. How could I not love her? And the fact is, she's easily one of the best backward skaters I have ever seen. And I have pushed her, and she and Kelly Cook went out to St. Louis in the All-Star game and worked the three-on-three. -three. And they proved that they can keep up with them. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, well, they're going to get run over. 
I see guys get run over all the time. Absolutely. And you know, the yeah. funny part is, I think that's one of the deficiencies of, of officiating now. That everyone in the National Hockey League is sitting there relying upon batteries, wires, and a television camera. They don't go to the net. And they don't skate into the fray. And that's where you have to be. Yeah. And you have to be close to the net. And I learned that in my very first game, 30 seconds on the ice after Newell got his ribs broken and I got sent out there, second period, Montreal-Boston for second place in the Adams division. And 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 uh, Courtnall scores a goal. Fell, puck fell between his uh, Waz legs. I blew the whistle. I couldn't see the puck. And I was in perfect position. Guess what? Another two strides and a little bit behind the goal line, I would have seen it. And you know what Macaulay said to me? You didn't quit. You didn't, you didn't fail on me. And I appreciate that. And you know what? I learned something, and I tell people this all the time. Consmite said in Toronto one night, if you can't beat them in the alley, you'll never beat them on the rink. And if the games are to be won and lost, they're won and lost in the corners. That's true for yeah. players. But for the referee, they'll forget a hook and a hold at center ice if you let it go. No problem, because the puck's gone. But they'll never forget the goal with the net that you missed. Yep. So get to the net, because for the referee, that's where the money is. Did you watch game six the other night? I did. And I watched every game. So let me ask you. So Nesson may have gotten rid of you, but we have not. And I want your opinion uh, you know, under Rule 79.1, hand pass the definition. And there was a lot of talk about DeBrusque's, the puck going off his hand as he was reaching for his stick. Bergeron skating in to get the puck. It wasn't a pass. It wasn't a movement. Um, but, you know, Rule 79, a player shall be permitted to stop or bat a puck in the air with his open hand or push it along the ice with his hand and play shall not be stopped unless, in the opinion of the referee, he has directed the puck to a teammate. Intently. So what? It, so there was, to me, and I don't know about anybody else, but I think a lot of people looked at that and said there's no intent to do anything with that puck other than to grab his stick. You're and picking just, up a stick. Yeah, yeah well, what all, all of this that? is it's similar to the whole <clears throat> question of um, when a player uh, does something violently against another guy, what was his intent? Yeah. And you can't read intent. But in the situation that that referee was in, because he was in perfect position, yep. and he did allowed the play to continue, I was one of the reasons why that rule was magnified. I was in a game one night in Montreal, and Peter Swoboda, at the point, Czech defenseman, knocked the puck straight down. He, he, he caught the puck and dropped it yep. at his feet. And in the and while he's looking for the puck, Cabano skated by him and took the puck and lo- took off. And now the puck gets in the net. And they said that was a hand pass. I said he didn't pass it. He he, he knocked it down. Right. It's He deflected it. And in the situation, there has to be in everyone's mind, what is the purpose of the rule? Always go back to that. John McCauley taught me that first thing because we had a game where we had uh, the new shootout rule, right? And the five players that they chose for the shootout couldn't shoot if they had penalty time on the clock. So I was in a game one night, and Wendell Young, goal scorer, is on the shootout list, and the other team sent the guy out and, and grabbed him, and they fought. 
So now we go to overtime. He's not playing. We go past overtime. We go to the shootout. He's on the list. So he comes out of the dressing room and sits on the bench. And the coach of the other team said to me, he can't shoot. He, he, he has a penalty. I said, yeah, but it's not on the clock. The literal interpretation was penalty time on the clock. So am I hearing you that you didn't you weren't a fan of that call the other night? No, I'm not a fan of the call, and I'll okay. tell you why. Because of the fact that there's no intent. There, there, there was no overt act right. to give the player on his team an <clears throat> advantage. I mean, Bergeron went in and skated and took the puck. It's, it's the same play that I had that in Montreal with right. Sabota and Carbonell. Right. And the fact is that the player who was down wasn't even looking at the puck. He didn't know where the puck was. Yeah. And we've had plenty of goals scored in the National Hockey League. I had one Min Winnipeg and Vancouver in the Stanley Cup playoffs where the the player got fouled in overtime, and I had my arm up for trip. Yeah. And the, the, as the player fell, the puck hit his back foot and and went in the net and never said he kicked it in. I said he, he had no control over himself. I allowed the goal. It knocked Winnipeg out of the playoffs. And you know what? I had the jam to stand up and make the call because that's what they pay me for. And I'm going to tell you this is the problem right now with the National Hockey League and any other league. We waste all the electricity in the building and all the fan stuff because the guy 75 feet away on a blue line lifted his foot two inches off the ice. Yeah. And I think that you know micromanagement is all well and good. You know, when you're talking about nuclear secrets and things like that. But this is a hockey game played by humans, coached by humans, and officiated by humans, but more importantly, observed by humans. There was no aspect of anything illegal by that play. He didn't do anything overtly to cause his team to gain an advantage. And to me, that's the measuring stick. Yeah. Not that it would change the play, the the game, because they were playing like shit the whole night. But I mean, that was they did score. They, it never should have been taken away. And I think of people who did not talk about it were a little leery of the rule interpretation, and they didn't talk about it after that. But now they're starting. To, I just saw an article that they talked about how how uh, <clears throat> how controversial it was. I tell I tell my officials all the time: don't rely upon replay because you're always wondering whether the the D batteries. Uh, uh, are yeah. are you know failing? So you know you you're, you're counting on a replay, and a lot of times, and I refereed a lot of games with replay, and the, the original intent of the rule of putting replay in was to decide if the puck went in the net or not. Yeah. This this goes back to a game in 1980. A lot of people don't know. You got to know the history of your game to appreciate how the rules came about and all of the things that happened. But in 1980, there was an offside play at the island in Philadelphia, and the Philadelphia Flyers lost. The play was offside by three feet. Now, I can see that yeah. as being you know, blatant. blatant, and we have it in baseball. So I can see those aspects, but now we're into a situation where micromanagement, any play in overtime now uh, they challenge because it could be offside. Yeah. So it, it's now become uh, a, a political hot potato, and it just doesn't necessarily f jive with the real intent of what the game's supposed to be. It's supposed to be spontaneous action. And I'll tell you another thing McCauley told me once when I was a referee. You want to keep the game uh, debris-free? 
I said, okay, I'm listening. He said, when the puck stops, that's when the BS starts. Keep the puck moving. Right. Right. So, you know, John McCauley should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame, not only because of his, his acume, but because of his lifetime dedication to the game. And I I, I consider him uh, of, of, of the men in my life uh, one of the top three guys. And if, uh, regarding officiating, my grandfather, my father, and John McCauley, they 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 taught me my my skill. Well, Stu, it's time to wrap it up. And with the way we wrap it up is we give a little shout out, uh, go around the table. But first of all, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, Do we cover everything? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I come to Attleboro or North Attleboro, if not to see my pal uh, Ricky Cavallero over at Custom Crafted, but definitely to go to the Bliss Dairy. <laughs> <laughs> because my friends uh, um, not only own that pr- property, but as well, they, they, they have one of the best little restaurants. Yeah, unbelievable. And the ice cream is fantastic. And I... Working for Tecta America, the biggest roofing company in the U.S., I do all their roofs. Well, shout out to the Bliss Dairy and shout out to Tecta America, too. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. Well, thanks for coming in. Michael. Um, thank you. Uh, obviously, that was great. Um, you really gave a lot of good insight. Like We talk about hockey all the time, but you don't get that from anyone else but you, so appreciate that. And uh, you got to give a shout out to the Bruins tonight. They need this one. So, Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I have to say... Um, I do root for individuals, and I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of any particular team. My team's gone. Yeah. They're in Colorado now. They're the, the Nordiques. Mm-hmm. But I can say this to you, that I look at uh, McAvoy and, and, and Bergeron, and I look at some of the fellows on that team, and I, I know them, but I don't, you know, they're not intimate buddy buddy with me but Bergeron I've known for a long time and I just think he's a class guy and I think that he deserves the opportunity to win the Stanley Cup on his way out yeah one more Absolutely. Yep. Mike Lane what do you got anything uh just thanks for coming in this is great mm-hmm. yeah Joey um I have to say if you want a good read go check this out you want to go by Paul Stewart. You Great book. Go. And my pal Terry O'Reilly wrote the forward. And as well, mm-hmm. my children's book, mm-hmm. which none of the profit goes to me or my co-writer or the, the illustrator. All of the profit goes to inner city youth hockey to buy skates for kids mm-hmm. that couldn't afford it. Look at what skates did for me. Mm-hmm. Where can they get that book? This is Anybody? all on Amazon. Amazon, okay. And I have another book coming, and I'm in the midst of writing, and my editor asked me, well, what are you going to call this one? I said, well, you want to go? He goes, you've already done that. I, Again? <laughs> 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 nice. Um, yeah, also, Punch Drunk Podcast, when we're set 100 subs on YouTube. Um, so definitely, if you're watching this, uh, go subscribe, and if you have the lame excuse of saying, I don't have a Google account, make one. It probably takes out 30 seconds to do that. So, 
subscribe. I'm yeah, calling you, you and I. You, are. you and I are from different generations. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I knew Captain yes. Kangaroo well. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, subscribe, hit the like button, and also if you want to email out to us now, we have our Punch Drunk Podcast twenty seven at gmail dot com. Reach out to us there, Punch Drunk Podcast twenty seven at gmail dot com. Stu, I can't thank you enough for coming in here. Well, Thanks you're for my friend, us. and you know, awesome. and this is a guy who not only has been a friend of mine for a long time, but as well is considered and been recognized as one of the best amateur baseball umpires in the United States. He won the Bill Stewart Award. Yes. And I just am so pleased to be with a, with a fellow official. It's not an easy role in life, but I'll tell you what, for all of you players or anyone that's ever thought that they know a lot about something, Come on down. We we can use officials in every sport. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Folks, that's going to do it for us. We're going to join you next week. But for now, ciao. Later. Peace. See ya.